Good morning. Well, as we start this morning, I'm going to ask that you uh, get a Bible. Uh, can we have some people pass out Bibles this morning, if you wouldn't mind volunteering yourself? Uh, if you need a Bible, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand if you need a Bible this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 13. Uh, raise your hand really high. Uh, look at that, all these great Bible monitors. So raise your hand really high. Dave, we got a lot over here, a lot over there, a lot everywhere. Oh my gosh, Jesus is here. Look at that. <laughs> I do. I want his, I covet his hair. Um, it's a confession. Taboo uh, is a word that means forbidden. Uh, something that you're to stay away from. Something that you don't even talk about. Something that you you distance yourself from the conversation or even the presence of. It's it's taboo. This last week, uh, this last weekend, I had a chance in Tucson, Arizona, to speak for the American Leprosy's Missions, their presidential weekend. It's the second time I've done that. And in the midst of hearing about that, uh, you get uh, this quick education about the disease of leprosy. You see, if you were to open up your Bible, you would hear the term leper, which is uh, a very derogatory term in our culture today. In fact, back then in biblical times, they weren't sure the fullness of leprosy. So if you were to have you know, a bad skin rash or a boil or anything on, like on your skin, they would just consider it leprosy. The problem back then is they saw leprosy as people losing limbs and this flesh-eating-like disease. Interesting fact about leprosy, though, is only 5% of the population is actually susceptible to it. 95% of the world is immune to leprosy. It only shows itself in certain conditions, in certain uh, parts of the world where it's very humid and hot and uh, there's a lot of moisture. Interesting about this disease, it's a nerve disease. It's actually not flesh-eating. It's just it damages and kills the nerves, and so therefore they can't feel. The skin doesn't moisturize itself. Things get infected, and as you can see, the damage is horrible. But what's more horrible is... What happens to these people when they confess or when they step out and they're found out that they have leprosy? You see, this woman herself was a woman in her village that was thrown out of her marriage, was thrown out of her village, and she was called to live not with the animals but next to the animals because she wasn't even good enough to live with the animals. She had to wait for someone that would in the village pump water for her. She's not allowed to touch the water pump. You see, what's interesting about this disease is the stigma, the, the, the horrible social reality when you would be found out. And if anything, you saw the major damage, not physically, but emotionally, that would do to people. Sadly, this morning, I'm not talking about leprosy. I'm talking about what we keep doing to each other in the area of politics, Scripture says this, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 say, Do not let selfish, selfishness and prideful agendas take over. Embrace true humility. Lift your heads to extend love to one another. Get beyond yourselves in protecting your own interests. Be sincere and secure your neighbor's interests first. The sad reality is that politics, 
might be more damaging than leprosy itself in our culture today. I mean, isn't it true? We watch what goes on. You know what I wanted to do? And I got talked out of the tree or talked off the cliff by the staff. I wanted to say, all right, who's a Republican? Stand up. Who's a Democrat? Stand up. And you know immediately what you would feel and think about the admission of that. What would happen to the room? There would be immediate stereotyping of where people were. There would be posturing. What is it about us that we have grown so far from a biblical understanding of what God calls governments and politics about? Boy, if you think this is not really happening, it doesn't take long to watch the political agendas on the news and how our campaigns now are just gross about just throwing mud and slinging mud on one another. If that's not enough, it's watching Christians on Facebook horribly rip people apart. Friends, I wanted to talk about a taboo topic called politics and just talk frankly about it. But not from my perspective, and I want to make sure you hear this morning, is I'm not speaking from a place of arrogance or correctness like I have this figured out. I want to talk to you from a biblical perspective. I want to give you some insight about what does God say about these issues that we face in our modern day about the idea of politics and government. I want to first give you four foundational truths or concepts that you should grapple with in this idea of government, in this idea of politics that I think can help shape and steer your understanding and I would hope that could, it could change our behavior on how we're going to operate from now and throughout this campaign and future. Let me give you a few of these. First is your view of politics is shaped by your theology. Theology meaning the study of God. And so let me illustrate. If you are a person that doesn't that sees God as a small God. He might have created the world, but he's not really concerned about the details of my life. He may not even be aware of some of the things of my life. He can't be in charge of all things because look at the madness around the world. If you see God not in control, then what? We immediately take control. We, we take on the posture of trying to fix those things and figuring out how we bring answers and strategies especially to the area of government. If your idea of God is a big God, a God that speaks in Scripture and says he knows the very breath you take, he knows the hairs on your head, he knows every sand, pebble throughout the world, he knows every person that has been placed in every place of authority, if you know that, then your view of God in politics changes the way you operate in politics. Do you see that? Your theology is shaping what you view on how government works and how politics work. It's important that we note that this morning. The second one is this. Your Christian view of politics and government must work in all context. It must have a test that you put to it. And that test is, does this work in communist China? Does this work in a dictatorship in Western Africa? Does this work in a monarchy? Where do, does this work, not just in modern time, does it work throughout history? You see, because it's easy for us as Christians to assume that God bless America, that we have the God-ordained way to do government, right? 
you have to look at your theology and our, your view of politics. Does this work everywhere? Sure, we have rights, but friends, we have rights because our government is allowing that. There are many countries that love Jesus Christ, many people that live in countries that have zero rights. And yet the scripture is still true and teaches us some foundational principles about how to deal with government and politics. Thirdly, your Christian identity comes from Christ alone. Friends, the world is trying to give you different ways to shape your identity, whether it's your sexuality, right? I have these tendencies, so I am this. I feel this way, so I am this. Just because you vote for a party does not make you that. It does not shape your identity. Our identity, as Christ said, is in Christ alone. It is in Him alone, and we are the bride of Christ, and the hope of the world is not government. It is Jesus. Therefore, we have a higher authority, a different standard. Our identity was never meant to be shaped by parties. Yet we do that again. We, we, could, we could point fingers in this room of different parties and different agendas and different candidates. The fourth is this. Your obedience is first and ultimately to God. Your obedience, our obedience in this room as Christ followers, if this is why you came this morning to, to pursue God, and if you've surrendered your life to God, then all of your life, everything in it, needs to submit to the one who you follow, and that's Jesus Christ, no matter what. No matter what context you're born in, no matter what country you're in, no matter what political situation you're in, you have been called to follow the one and be obedient to one. How does that work, though, in a government that asks you to be disobedient to God's laws? Well, we saw, if you haven't listened to that message, listen to the one we talked in the Revealed series about the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, great biblical picture Three 16-year-old boys who don't rebel, who aren't some big resistance, they humbly stand up and say, I can't bow down. When we are asked to sin by a government, Scripture gives us examples that you can quietly and humbly say, I cannot do that. Many martyrs throughout history have died humbly and quietly for their faith to obey the one that they've been called. Now, could we agree this morning, just not giving our government tons of credit, but let's just say they're not holding us hostage to go sin. They're not asking us right now to sin. Now, we could say there are agendas that we don't agree with that are sin, right? There are things in our, our system that we feel like are anti-biblical. Yes, I agree. But you yourself aren't being asked to sin yet. So I want to take this off the board today as, you know, a what if. I want to address just in our reality in the United States in this season, 2015, how do we become obedient to what God's called us to live? What does that look like? I want to give you some context this morning because some of you might think as you read the scripture, well, how does scripture stay relevant in context? And I agree, context is really important. Um, different situations and, and uh, different countries and, and different uh, worldviews were all existent back then. But I want to give you a little bit of perspective because some of us, there are some that believe 
wow, it couldn't get worse than it is today, right? And I will just give, this will settle, just set, have this settle in a little bit. The world has not changed since Adam and Eve walked out of the garden. That sin still leads us down the road of death. And that the world is dark and sinful. And in our nature, uh, born into sin, we have warped sinful minds, sinful behavior, sinful hearts. And it is only Christ alone that begins to redeem that in our lives. But you might say, well, gosh, this is just, it's just worse. The leaders of today are a mess. And friends, if you just are a historian at all, you read about world history, you see, wow, we couldn't be farther from that reality. Nero is the leader of Rome at the time of Paul's writing. Now, from Green Bay to D.C., it's about the same distance for where Paul wrote in Corinthians to the church in Rome, about the same distance. Paul's writing to the Roman church who are falling under the rule of Nero. Now, just in your mind, don't shout out the names, but you have a picture of somebody in politics right now that is the worst evil. They're, they're near the Antichrist, right? So I just want you to think about who that person is, and I want to tell you about Nero and see if they come close. Uh, Nero uh, had a very rough upbringing. If many of you studied Nero, he was very dark and decadent. But in his uh, taking on his leadership role, he didn't see uh, leadership a very democratic way. In fact, he had a few of his wives killed. Uh, he just did not favor them anymore, did not like them. It's said to be rumored that he actually um, had relations with his mother, who he would later uh, have offed. It says also that at one time that Nero dressed up like a woman and married a man. He was famous for orgies and huge parties. Nero was dark as a ruler at this point in time in history. Later on in the great Roman fire, Nero would need someone to take the blame for why Rome was on fire and blame the Christians, which ensued great terror, great death, and great torture. Friends, I don't know who the politician you had in your mind, but friends, we haven't experienced that. Have we, do we have evils in our world? Yes. Do we have some darkness in our world? Yes. We have yet to be in that posture yet as a country. Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome, trying to give them instruction about what are we supposed to do with this? Now, mind you, in Jesus' time, there were four political parties. Four political parties that all had different religious kind of bents, the Essenes, the Zealots, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, all had an agenda. Jesus subscribed to none of those. And Jesus would say that the, the hope of the world is not government. The great hope for our world today is not democracy. I love democracy. I love the fact we have that in our country. But the hope of the world is Jesus. And if we read our Bibles, it's going to get worse. And there's nothing we can do to stop that. But we've been given instruction about how to live in the midst of that darkness. Romans 13 is where we're going to just stay in this morning. Romans 13, Paul, again, writing to the Roman church, says this, let everyone, let me say that again, let just the Democrats be subject to the governing authorities. Oh, I'm sorry, let everyone. 
That means none of us are off the hook. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. What does be subject mean? It means to be in support of by lining up in military. It's, it's a military term to, to subject yourself, line up in an orderly fashion. Get in line with, but not just in line with, just to stand blankly at nothing. It means to get behind someone. To be subject to the governing authorities means line up behind our president. Line up behind our governor. Line up behind our ambassadors. Line up behind all of them in an orderly way. We could end this morning right here. The scripture says, be subject to them. I know that doesn't feel really good. But the scripture calls us to be subject. That's the first. All believers are to be subject to all governing authorities. Let's continue on here. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14 say, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Let me just say this this morning. Your submission to authorities is not because you agree with them. It is for one reason. Because you have a higher authority who said, I want you to do it that way. I want you to submit to those authorities. For the Lord's sake, to every human authority, every human authority, children, college students, to your parents, to your bosses, to those elected in your local governments, villages, whatever it might be, you submit yourself for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority. Whether to the emperor, what's he talking about? Nero. As the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, to commend those who do right. And it just says we should be subject to all authorities. It goes on, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Wait a second. You mean to tell me God could have put the evil rulers of our world history in place? Could he have put some of our rulers in place? Some of our politicians in place? See, we have such a small view of God, we think just in 2015, and we don't have an eternal perspective, but the God of the universe steps back and sees from the beginning when He created humanity and all of creation, and He sees where it's heading, and He knows. And the Scripture, you can learn, read First and Second Kings, you'll find... Has God ever used evil leadership for great good? Yes, he has. Who are we to question who God puts in authority? It says no authority. Friends, this was not like a missed election. Oops, God fell asleep on that one. No authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority. What does rebelling mean? It's the opposite of subjecting yourself. It means chaos. It means resisting. It means fighting against. Can we stop here for a moment? What has been your behavior and posture in the world of politics? Has it been fight? I'll tell you, as a pastor, I read Facebook after uh, our whole stuff in our state around some of what our governor had done and whether you agree or disagree. And I just watched a lot of Christians fight each other. 
I saw a lot of Christians putting more hate in their posts toward one another. It says, whoever resists or rebels against the authority is rebelling against God. You see, Paul's getting an interesting picture here. When you fight and you resist the authorities that he's placed there and you don't operate like a great godly citizen. Friends, I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm saying vote. Gosh, when Trish and I first got married, I didn't vote. I didn't vote for a lot of years. I'll confess it. You know why? Because in my value system, I couldn't, I, I didn't know these people and I knew that the media was a big farce and if I voted, I didn't know if they were good candidates or not. But you know what I came to realize? Peace in my home meant I voted. Um, no, there was more to that. I realized what a privilege I have a voice. And I'm not responsible to know that person. And all I can trust is God's leadership in my own life and go, you know what? I feel pretty good about that person. I'm going to vote for him. Friends, we're not, we're not saying that you don't vote. You don't try to get initiatives done, but you do it in a way that's not rebelling. Because if you do, you're rebelling against God. He and, he, uh, and his instit, uh, is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so are bringing judgment on themselves. I don't want that. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, uh, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear and want an authority? All authorities have been placed by God. Again, this might be a hard one for you to swallow this morning, but I'm telling you, I'm challenging you, friends. Read First and Second Kings. I mean, David himself will kill anyone that kills, what do you say? God's anointed. You have, you have struck against somebody who God anointed. And even though they were evil, said you have no place of rebelling against who God's put there. All authorities have been placed by God. Doesn't that change our perspective? Paul then says, then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Now, that's a hard one to believe, right? I mean, come on, let's just be honest this morning. There has been elections, there's been leaders in the past all over the world where I would go, I don't know if that's really true. But in our perspective of good, what if, what if losing a tax break for giving at a church is exactly what God wants? Because has giving in the church become so motivated by a tax break that it's lost the purity of just giving? Would that be something that God could put rulers in place to end and bring great good? Oh, sure, giving would go down, but it would purify giving. That's an example. That's one example that God could allow what we perceive as evil for great good. By the way, I'm not voting for that. I don't, I'm not asking for that. <laughs> but if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. 
Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Friends, we have a chance to vote. We have a, in world terms, we have great freedoms. Now, I don't want to assume for one moment that those will last forever. History will show that they probably won't. But in this time, in this place, we celebrate as a country some great freedoms. Most of the world doesn't. Uh, A few years back, before I started my lead role here, I shut down a business and I had some back taxes owed. And as I folded that up, I remember getting on the phone with the IRS and saying, okay, we've got to kind of catch up on taxes. And the gal said this to me on the phone, very interesting. You know, actually, because you didn't profit and this and that, and, you know, it wasn't a huge company, you actually really don't have to pay these. No one's going to ever come after you for these. She said, you really don't have to pay these. And then she said, it's really just an integrity issue if you want to. It was like, click, that was all I needed to hear. I have to. If I'm going to be a good citizen, as the scripture says, then as Jesus even said, give Caesar what is Caesar's. If they ask for 40%, I'm going to give it. I don't like that. But I'm to be a great citizen, no matter what country, no matter what context no matter where I've been born. Friends, we are lacking God-fearing Christians being in politics that do not waver and be subject to the government and be great citizens. We need more of those. Whatever you owe, whatever the revenue, as believers, we, we are to do what is right. And what God says is right is follow the laws short of sin. And if, if the country gets to a point where it's calling us to sin, then we, in, as great citizens, say, I, I'm going to refuse. In all humility, not arrogance, I cannot do that. I cannot go against what I believe. And the Scripture talks about that being a, a powerful influence to the world. The moment you start to fight, the moment you start to take on being right, I believe you remove the Holy Spirit's power in that. Read Foxes of the Martyrs, the Fox Book of Martyrs. Read, read uh, Jesus Freaks. It's, it's another just book of martyrdom. Horrible stuff. But you will find almost always a humble, great citizen approach of, I will not, Stephen himself as he's being pelted with stones, says, forgive them, Father. Friends, this kind of of leadership, this kind of submission, this kind of of view of how we're to operate as Christ followers in politics is almost non-existent today. 1 Peter 2, 18 and 19 says, Peter's writing to slaves. Slaves in reverent fear in reverent fear, submit yourself uh, of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Friends, when you're punished for doing what is right and you do it in a humble way, you speak the name of Jesus without even saying it. How could they do? How could they take so much unjust punishment? Jesus did. That was a railroad of a trial. 
That was horrible. Horrible physical beatings. Unjust. 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 This morning, I want to wrap up by giving you this picture. There was a, a colonel, a colonel in the military, and he was a drunk. Uh, he had a huge alcohol problem. He was abusing people. He was, uh, he was uh, violent with his family. And he, he eventually found Christ. Someone introduced him to Christ, and he was changed. And years later, he's finding himself speaking to a conference speaking to a group of people. And this group of people, he, he started to talk about the transformation that had happened in his life and how no, he no longer was violent, he was gentle, and all these, these complete 180s. And towards the end of his presentation, a psychiatrist stood up who believed firmly that you could never change behavior like that. It was, in, it was ingrained in your, in your growing up. You couldn't transform that. And protested just aggressively in the middle of the meeting. And this, this colonel humbly said this, you might be right. I can't change that. He says, but I'm here to inform you, I'm under a new authority. I'm under new management. And what he's called me to live like is radically different. Friends, this morning, no matter what you think or believe about God, about politics, about government, if you claim to know him and call him as Lord and Savior, you're called to new management. And that means in the midst of a crazy government, in the midst of crazy politics, can I encourage you to open up the conversation and don't worry about being right because often we find that we're not as right as we think we are. How could we begin to express love for Christian and non-believing brothers and sisters that differ in our opinion and we agreeably disagree with one another and yet then we still love one another? Friends, you have a great opportunity to do that and I would just encourage you, social media is not the place to make change in our world. It is through relationships. It's when you meet the opposing party. It is when you meet someone that radically thinks different than you ethically to say, let's talk about why you believe that. Can I tell you why I believe what I believe? And you, you begin to posture yourself as a great citizen but a great listener. And friends, the question this morning is, what management are you under? Whose authority? Who are you subject to? God's asking you to be subject to all the authorities that were given. This morning as we go communion, know that Jesus died. Jesus died and gave his life, not for government, not for democracy, not for the American way, but he gave his life for the church. And he has called the church to be great citizens in every context, in every government, in every situation. Doesn't mean we agree, just means we learn how to be great followers. So no matter how dark our world gets, that people in government might say, you know what, I know they disagree, but they're great followers. They model something different. Friends, might we be a church that lives this way under new management. Father in heaven, as we go to communion this morning, might we... 
be awakened and our eyes opened as we sang this morning. Open up our eyes to a new way of living in politics today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.